You can expand your appetite, I could have added, and delight in God's word. And the text is Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You probably, if you're my age, you learned that verse in the King James. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It was, it was interesting. I came across an old, a very old, most many of you won't even know what this is. Just trust me, a cassette tape. <laughs> and it had a date on it. And it was a recording made uh, when my mom and dad were in Fort Erie, Ontario, had just moved to Fort Erie, Ontario. Dad was pastoring. And they were staying, I don't know these people, but it says on the cassette tape, with the Griffins in Fort Erie, Ontario, not the Griffins that are here in our church. And, uh, and you hear the Horbin boys. I've got this, before any of our voices changed. And then you hear this woman asking my dad to pray before we left. Apparently we were visiting. And it was interesting to hear my dad because he wasn't like this any time that I remember ministering with him. And dad, as he prayed, he started off the way everybody used to pray. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, we come before thee and thank thee for thy bountiful. And it was all these and thous and thys. And my dad never prayed like that for the last, I don't know, 40 years of his life. But that's the way we... That was holy talk back then, because God spoke English and old English. And so you learned, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's our text. And it, and it, it describes two things, what the psalmist did and his goal. Your word I have stored up, which is probably better, in my heart, that I might not sin against you. This will be next week. This is tonight. The two things in that part is, I've, I've stored up, I've hidden your word. And then the second thing in that first part is, where, where he put it, in his heart. There's an approach to Christian living that um, is very common, very popular. It is best summarized with the what would Jesus do bracelet. And if you have one, I'm not criticizing you for it. Uh, Anything that gets the name of Jesus out there, I have no fight with. But there is something wrong with the thinking behind it. The thinking behind it is that you, you... Spiritual life is a matter of acting like Jesus acted. In other words, in other words you, you become a spiritual person by doing good things. Rather than there's a change that takes place in a new nature that results in new life being manifested. 
In other words, you, you, can't, you can't become godly by just externally trying to do the kind of things Jesus did. The change that takes place, I'll show you how Jesus describes it in different places, and the psalmist, starts on the inside with a new nature that manifests itself in new life. You, you, you can't get there by doing moral deeds. And so that's what the psalmist, David, discovers in this text. The man after God's own heart. Not just activity, but heart. The life of Christ can't just be mimicked or copied from the outside. It's, it's his words abiding in us. John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So it, there's an inward part to it. If my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish it will be done. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And even that imagery so proved to be my disciples that what flows out of the the life comes from the inside like fruit comes from the inside of the tree. It isn't just a matter of a tree saying, I'm going to copy an apple tree. It's the life of the apple tree inside that manifests the fruit. This is what David discovered, and this is what David talked about. I said we were going to look at the action David took. Your word I have stored. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And then we're going to look at the place where David treasured or stored up the word. He said it was in his heart. So first... The action David took. I have stored up your word in my heart. I'm quite certain that for many of us, that's not the way we learned the little verse. But I want to take just a second to show you why I think storing up is probably a better idea and gets closer to what David was trying to capture and say. Because when we talk about hiding something, hiding anything, It can be a little bit uh, confusing. I can have different motives when I say I'm trying to hide something. I mean, I can hide something because I'm trying to conceal it, right? I'm trying to keep you from finding it. Psalm 40 verse 10 says, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed, have not hidden, I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. So here David says, I, you've, you, you've been gracious, you've been merciful, you've been faithful, and, and I, I have not kept it a secret. I have not hidden that. But I, I praise, I speak it out in the congregation. People know about it because I manifest it. I make it obvious. So he's talking about a kind of hiding we're not to do. But you can also hide something to to, uh, protect it. To to keep it from being snatched away. To keep it from being lost. And I think this is probably what David is trying to capture. 
he, he says he stores up, hides, old King James, stores, ESV, treasures, some other translations. Well, what he means is he, he locks it up in his heart the way you might lock up uh, precious jewelry in a safety deposit box. He, he tends to God's word the way you would tend to something so precious that you would rather lose anything than that. Here's what David means. I, I store up. This isn't just reading. I'll talk about that in a minute. I store up your word in my heart in such a way that its impact will never be diminished by anything else. Maybe that says it best. I, I store it up right inside my heart, treasure it, store it, keep, keep it in such a way that, that nothing else will ever come and diminish its impact, take away its importance, distract my attention, make me careless about it. No, I, I store it up and treasure it. And he, he puts it in the very closest spot of his existence. We'll look at that in a minute, his heart. You might not think we've said anything that new, and haven't, you're right. But we've already been pointing out something deeper than many Christians seriously consider. And we shouldn't rush over it. David talks about storing or hiding God's word in his heart. When he does that, he's talking about the steps that he takes after he reads it or after he hears it. He's talking about how he labors to to preserve the impact of the word in his life. So it's not just the actual event of reading the word or hearing the word that he's talking about. He's talking about how he he fastens it, how he... um, Locks it down. How he brings it to application in his life. Jesus would agree with the psalmist that that this is one of the most important things we can learn. In two pretty powerful passages of scripture, what Jesus does is he outlines um, the threats threats to the word of God that I have heard at one point in time or read at one point in time. And Jesus outlines two things that can, for all practical purposes, remove the chance of that word having any impact in my heart. So he wants us to think about this. One of the passages is Matthew 13, 19. Jesus, he's he's talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples and the process of discipleship and, and the formation of spiritual life. And he says, 
Matthew 13, 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, we've looked at that parable before, but what Jesus is saying is the entrance of the word doesn't ensure benefit from the word. Being in church tonight doesn't guarantee that anything of spiritual fruit is going to be produced in my heart or yours just because we're all here gathering our minds around biblical text. It's not automatic. It's not enough to feel inspired. It's not enough to feel blessed. Jesus says that there there needs to be There needs to be the concentrated effort to think through what's being said in the word. It it needs to be read deeply. It needs to be understood correctly. Then he talks about another threat to the word stored up in the heart in Matthew 13, 22. This is after the word is read or after the word is heard. He says, 13.22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So I, what Jesus is saying there is, um, your, heart, your heart is like your computer. Stores a lot of things, but there's only a certain amount of memory, Right? And your heart can't store up everything. You you get to the place where each each new interest displaces an old one. And Jesus says particularly, there's... there's Cares and concerns, problems, trials. And then he says there's the deceitfulness of wealth, riches specifically. And the reason he talks about those two things is this. I will usually see, there are exceptions, I know, but I will usually see the solution to most of the problems I'm facing if I had more money. I wouldn't have to work so hard. I could relax more. I could take more vacations. I could do more things for my family. I could do, buy more things for my wife. I could do this. I could give more to missions. I could do this. I could do that. And he says, it's deceptive. Because, because you tend to think, you tend to think that I can secure my life better this way than if I just kind of waste my time sitting in, you know, somebody's Sunday school class or Bible study. I live in the real world, for goodness sake. I haven't got time just to memorize psalms. What's that got to do with real life? See, the the deceitfulness. Jesus says we must constantly uproot. Uproot. Note the gardening metaphor. Uproot all competing objects of attention and affection. And you notice how Jesus exposes the greatest myth about spiritual life 
and the things that destroy its power. It's not just bad things that kill spiritual life. It's secondary things. Other priorities that come and aggressively choke out kingdom concerns. It's the same idea that David is talking about. I I store up your word. I can't store up everything. I I can't get my mind absorbing everything under the sun, but your word, I, I just, I grab it. I just pull it in, pull it in, pull it in. Get that, I get that in all the time. I just store it up. See the squirrels gathering nuts? That's what I do with the word. Just, I squeeze it in there. And the image Jesus uses is really perceptive. It's like, it's like gardening and weeds that grow up and choke out plants. That's what Jesus is talking about. Anybody that does gardening of any kind knows this. If there's one thing for sure about weeding, it's that it's never finished. Am I right? You go and you get every single weed that you can see in that garden. And in two days, some enemy has come and, like Jesus' parable, has sown more of them. And they just crop up. What what clearer picture could be shown as to what David meant when he outlined the need to preserve the word in the heart after you're done reading it, or after you're done hearing it. I wonder, and I'm talking to myself too, I wonder how many people, it's uh, 6.30 almost, I wonder how many people thought very much about what we studied in God's Word in the morning. And I'm not saying this because I think I'm a great preacher. I just mean because of the act of studying the Word, okay? I wonder how many people, by the time they had lunch, never thought one nanosecond about Hebrews 6, 13 to 20 again. What do you think? And as they got home and turned on TVs and made lunches and visited friends and weeds. Not immorality, just weeds. I said earlier, said earlier that David described the practice storing the word and the place where he stored it. I want to just look for a minute now at the place. So your word, I've, I've stored it up. I've stored it up. Where did you put it, David? Well, I stored it up in my heart. I have stored up your word in my heart, he says. Now, we should know... If you think about it, we would probably all agree. Reading something and storing it in your heart are not the same thing. I, I, I've read thousands, 
millions of things that aren't in any way, shape, or form stored in my heart. I've read, I've read directions from Ikea about putting together bookshelves. Those wretched little things with no words on them, just a picture of this guy, and three steps and it's all done, and you're there for an hour and a half. I've read instructions for programming things. I've read road signs. I've read letters and numbers I have no knowledge of and absolutely no interest in. So, for sure, David isn't just talking about reading, right? When he says, I've, I've stored it up in my heart. What does that mean? To, to store up God's word in your heart implies... Um, Treating, considering, thinking about the word in such a way that I'm affected by it. Obviously, that's what the heart means. It means purposely holding the word dearly, carefully, consciously, in in such a way that it becomes the programming center of my life. It regulates my life. Cherishing would be another good one. Storing is the word word David chose. So anyone's going to want to ask the question, I think, uh, am I doing this? Are you doing this? Am I storing up God's word in my heart and how can I know? I want to talk about that for a minute. How can I know if I'm storing up God's word in my heart? I read it. I hear it. A, you are beginning to store up God's word in your heart when you actually begin, underline begin, to love the entrance of God's wisdom into your life. You you start to feel that you, you, you can't get enough. You can't get enough of it. You, you start you start to cherish the opportunities where individually, privately, and collectively we, we can think about divine truth. It, it feels good to think about divine truth. It's not a burden. It's, it's not a good sign, by the way, that people are trying... More and more, people are trying to love Jesus more and more while going to church less and less, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You're beginning to store up God's word in your heart when you cherish opportunities to be exposed to it. you remember at the beginning of tonight's teaching time, I was standing there and I said the difference, the difference between the what would Jesus do kind of approach and change that comes from a new nature in the heart, a new principle in the heart, and, and the actions coming as fruit. That, the second one, that signals a huge change in our makeup. It's not just trying to be morally good, but a huge change on the inside of our skins. 
Psalm 1 declares that I, Don Horbin, used to delight in the counsel of the ungodly. What that means is, I, I had no taste for the thoughts and the ways of God. I would find more excitement in front of the television than in God's house. And then the Spirit of God worked in my heart and in my mind. And what he did was he started to effect a change where, oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation day and night. I, I watch movies on TV, but I get distracted because I'm thinking about the Bible. Has that ever happened? They are more to be desired than gold. The purest gold. Is, is that my evaluation? Does it show? B, you'll know you're beginning to store up God's word in your heart when you begin to receive it with faith and submission. Think of those two words. Faith and submission. And I say those two words because you really, you, you can't have one without the other. You, you have to believe that God's word is gold, more precious than gold, that it really will increase the value of your life or you will never submit your own agenda and your own desires to its authority. That just makes sense. So, practically, faith has to be exercised if I'm going to store up God's word in my heart and in my mind. Because, because many times... Many times the teaching of the word doesn't appear instantly beneficial, in my opinion. When, 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 when somebody wrongs me in some way, just as a for instance, and the Bible says don't take any vengeance, pray for people that persecute you, don't strike back. Romans, I will avenge. Either that person's sin will be paid for and dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ like yours was, Don, or it'll be dealt with when I come again. You don't have to take vengeance. Now, if I don't believe that, that's not a particular passage that I'm going to treasure when I feel angry. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? If, if, if I'm going to submit to that, I will have to have faith that it's true. And the problem is the Bible comes and speaks in so many areas to my life, which is renewed but not completely transformed yet. And it speaks and it says things that to me and my own desires don't make sense right now. That can't work. And then, and then, and then, in baby steps, this is what I've been doing, this is what you've been doing as we follow Jesus, you... you you honor the word. And, and you don't see it the next morning, but over, over time, you see where God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And, and you get one or two occasions where you start to see how that works. And then the next time God speaks, even though you might have some reservations, you probably will until Jesus comes back, but you're saying, I'm learning, I'm learning to trust. And you submit again. 
and, and it's a chicken and egg thing. That whole process starts to grow and gain momentum in your life. C. You'll know you are beginning to store up and treasure God's word in your heart when you begin to taste in your own soul an abiding affection for the ways of God over the long haul. I already touched on that a little bit. It doesn't happen all at once, and there's no point trying to pretend. But over time, bit by bit, maybe without even making a conscious decision, you cease measuring your spiritual temperature just by short-term blazes and surges of emotion. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 13... 20 and 21, he says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, but he has, he has no root in himself. He endures for a while. What happens? Well, tribulation. Persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. So, so, receive the word with joy and then you find out there's, there's uh, pushback. Is that the kind of world we're living in now? You find out there's pushback to someone who honestly wants to honor the word of God. And, and, and when that pushback comes, tribulation, persecution on account of the word, th- this person um, he, he, he loses confidence in the word. It was supposed to be better than this, nicer than this, easier than this. Is the Christian life harder than you expected? We're going to be studying it Wednesday nights. And so he falls away. And so Jesus labors to distinguish. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. The difference between short-term, the short-term effects of the word, and the long-term effects of the word. There can be a kind of response to God's word that carries a certain immediate joy. That's the word Jesus uses, but but doesn't continue in impact. I've been thinking about this. I think the difference is like this. One approach to the word is to go to it when something in my life is going wrong. It's either producing pain, and I know something needs to be fixed... And I know my life is in a desperate mess, and I go to the Word to get help. And and God is gracious, and I'm not denying for a second that there are all sorts of occasions where where I come with my brokenness, and I come with my need, and I come with my crisis, and I come to the Lord, and the Spirit works through the Word, and I see truth, and and it transforms, and it changes, and it delivers... And that's a beautiful thing. Nothing wrong with any of it. It's helpful to our souls. But I, I believe Jesus is calling me to recognize this. Here's how I want to say it. You start cherishing the word in your heart, storing it up in your heart. When we come to the place of maturing in our walk with the Lord that we recognize the difference between just altering our actions and that's good and the difference between that and transforming our thinking 
our, our, our whole worldview. If my life is to have a chance at permanent transformation, I need more than just help when I go wrong. That's great that there is in our time of need. But, but I, will, I will need a new way of looking at life, a new way of looking at things, a new way of looking at people, a new way of thinking about time and eternity, a new way of thinking about sin, a new way of thinking about relativism, a new way of thinking about truth, a new way of thinking about all sorts of things that, that don't relate necessarily to me with a sickness or a need or a problem or a bankruptcy, but just how I view my lens for seeing everything about my world. That's what it means to store up God's word in your heart. A new mindset, a new perspective on everything. If I read the psalmist right, and if I read Jesus right, they're they're saying the same thing. The, The word stored up in the heart, the psalmist is talking about it. Now listen to these words from Jesus, Matthew 12, 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And so what Jesus is talking about is the same thing the psalmist is talking about. What's stored up in the heart. You get God's word in your heart because you you can't live life just driven by the need of the moment. And your reaction to it. Something bigger and deeper has to be happening in my life. My affections, my plans, my dreams, they're they're all pumped out of this big storage tank where the word of God is kept. My relationships, who I date, how I conduct myself sexually, what I do with my money, how much time I give to reaching the lost, what I watch when no one else sees what I'm watching on the internet. That that all of those things aren't just driven by my desire to look good in front of you, but, but all those activities are flowing out of word of God that's been stirred up on the inside. It's bubbling out in all sorts of ways. Our decisions aren't driven by the moment. They come out of the store of God's word in our hearts. I'm going to wrap up. Anybody that knows me well knows I've not hidden it. I make an active campaign about it. I hate tulips. I don't just dislike them. I hate them. And I'll tell you why. They come up so fast, right? You got your red, you got your yellow, you got your pink. And then in about three days, you got this little green antennae sticking up in the ground. It looks like nothing. I hate tulips. And I'm so glad 
the psalmist, Psalm 1, the person that, that meditates on the word, stores it up in the heart, weeds out Jesus, weeds out the things that are going to distract from it, puts it in the heart where it regulates the whole of life until it's not just actions, it's a worldview that's, that's shaped by the word in the heart. I'm so glad the psalmist said, and he shall be like a tulip. Planted by rivers of water. Isn't there something beautiful about, picture like a, you've been to California and seen the redwood trees. You can drive a car through an arch that's carved in some of them. But here's the thing about that. It, it, it takes longer to grow a tree than a tulip. This, what we're talking about tonight, I hope, I hope you see how important it is. It's important to start. Don't procrastinate. Store up and treasure God's word in such a way that you have a time every day where you don't just read it, but you think about it, and then think about how it relates to the other parts of your life. Ask yourself that. Ask questions when you read the book. Let it shape your life. And, and the thing about it is, if you start and continue, it will start to shape your tastes. Not by next Sunday. Redwoods don't grow that fast. But if you stay with it, believe me when I tell you, it will change everything important about your life. Not your income, but everything important about your life that you need to be a healthy, whole, godly person. It will change it. It will change it. Start right away with this. Continue with it. And don't quit. Okay, now I'm, I'm really going to quit. Spiritual failure is rarely caused by failing too often. Spiritual failure is caused by quitting too soon. Did you get it? Spiritual failure isn't caused by failing too often. There's grace to help in every time of need. Spiritual failure comes from quitting too soon. Incrementally, never stop storing up the word. And incrementally, never stop weeding everything else. And everyone said, let's pray.